welcome to episode 33 of The Playground Project with me, your host, Tanya Pomerantz. Thank you so much for spending your time on The Playground with me. Before we start our career chat, I wanted to invite you to follow me on Instagram at puddlejumpcoaching001. I would love to connect with you there. For today's episode, I invite you to join my fabulous mystery guest, Asma Talahui, and I, or me, as we take a seat at Asma's table. Welcome, Asma Talawi. Hello, Tanya. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm fine, but now I, you know, I had to practice your last name because I just don't have that same beautiful way of saying it. But uh, you know what? I'm going to say that we met very recently. And in fact, it was a couple of months ago. It was August 26th. I was, I had a, a book signing event at mm-hmm. Indigo Pinecrest and I was there and, you know, saying hello to people. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, this lovely woman with beautiful hair came up and I went up to her. I'm like, you have beautiful hair. And then we just started talking and connecting. And when I heard her story, I was like, mm-hmm, I need to have Asma on to the playground and have a good chat with her. So I'm so excited to welcome Asma. And there's a, a couple wor- a couple letters we can say behind your, your name, PhD. And Asma, I'm going to let you kind of introduce yourself. And then we're going to go back as we do on the playground. We take it right back to high school. So let's find out about you. Thank you, Tonya. As you mentioned, my name is Asma Tahlawi. Uh, See? See? I know. I know. That is... I, I don't I don't expect people to pronounce it. I know the the vocals, the phonetics are are not easy for people, but you've done a good job. Uh, so yes, PhD. I'm, um, my background is in chemical engineering. I have a PhD in tissue engineering. What I did my PhD in was specifically bone marrow tissue engineering. So designing artificial bone marrow to replace donation where uh, leukemic patients need donations from other uh, healthy healthy individuals and to produce blood in the lab. Uh, again, I'm talking future in the future. It's not uh, readily clinically available, but it's uh, ongoing research. So yeah, research was in that field. Well, as you were saying that, I'm, I am getting chills on, on my arm. I mean, that that's changing the world. I, I'd like to think so. And I'd like to have to think I had a a tiny contribution to that. And I hope one day this will be an available cure, an available solution for um, patients of uh, whether it's leukemia or um, any person who needs blood. So yes, I hope this will change the world one day. Wow. So there, okay. I mean, where do you go with from that, you know? So so should we take it back? Should we start kind of at the beginning of the journey? And yeah. then kind of, okay, so let's do that. So my my first question is, where did you grow up? Mm-hmm. And then the next second part of that is, what was high school like for you? That's that's a good place to start. So I grew up in Saudi Arabia. I'm from Saudi Arabia. And I grew up in a city uh, called Khobar. Yeah, that's where I was born, actually, where I grew up, where I went to high school and where I worked after university. So high school was, I want to say school itself was uneventful, but I was I was a nerd. It was all about grades, top grades and being top of my class. I, I was the typical nerd. Science was was fun though. I loved science and I enjoyed it. And I guess that 
somehow led to the PhD. And I guess growing up, this was in the 90s, right? A school and mm-hmm. high school in, uh, in Saudi. And in a city like Khobar, life was simple, easy, but also traditional, very mm-hmm. restricted. So life was more about school, home, family, and that's it. But one thing I started enjoying was experimenting in the kitchen. Although I was always kicked out by my mother. They weren't welcomed experiments, but you know, too many people in the kitchen. It was her kitchen. Her answer was always, come back when I'm done. Don't do this when I'm done. <laughs> you know? That's, um, you know, part of, I guess, um, limitation of life within the home, family and school kind of led me to experiment there maybe. And then I, later years in my life, I, I realized how much I love food. So. so there you were, Saudi Arabia. Yeah. A young woman mm-hmm. spending time at home. Mm-hmm. Being kicked out of the kitchen. Yes. <laughs> and like, did you know what you were going to do after you finished high school? Was it a given that you were going to go to university? And was it a given that it was going to be science? So yes, it was a given that it was I was going to university. That part was was sure. But I, w- I wasn't very specific or I wasn't really sure about the details of what I wanted to do or study. I mm-hmm. didn't know it had to be something in science. Now, I had a lot of influence from people around me with their family, friends of, oh, you should do your, your, you know, you have top grades, you should do medicine. Oh, you're good. I was good with arts as well, artsy. So um, some people thought I should go into something like interior design and I was good at it. But again, it was the 90s. So there wasn't much accessibility to learn about other fields. It was either science to become a teacher, uh, maybe medicine mm-hmm. to become a doctor. Um, and at the time, again, 90s in, this, in Saudi, things like engineering, uh, law, a lot of fields were not officially, but they were not accessible for women. Like they weren't banned, but they weren't accessible. Right. Mm-hmm. I knew I wanted something in science. The thing is, because of the influence that I had around me, I applied to university to go into interior design. Uh, so I went to university in the Emirates, um, United mm-hmm. Arab Emirates, uh, very close by. But I went there, admitted into interior design. But in the first week, the orientation week, not even before class, even before classes, I actually went and changed the major, my major to chemical engineering. That's a huge pivot. Right yes, there. it is. And now looking back, yes, there was a huge pivot. <laughs> How did that go over with your family? Uh, with my family, I remember the most of the reaction was like, oh, there you go. You did what you wanted after all. You know, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Was that the child that you were, that you were, you know, kind of determined? Yes and no. I was also a very uh, yes mom kind of kind of child, but I guess I was determined because we had this conversation about specifically chemical engineering, but I had other people who worked in engineering or not telling me, this is not a field for women. What are you going to do after? You know, everybody had their input and their own experience. All I was thinking, yes, I can do this well. I can do interior design, but it didn't feel like it was a calling. It didn't feel like it's something I wanted to my all my life to be about. And at the time, at least where the way I grew up, when you chose your major, it felt like this is forever. Right. What do you want to be when you grow up? That's kind of it. Yeah. So you started with your bachelor's, right? Or is that how it goes at that university? Exactly. So I I did my, my it was my bachelor's in chemical engineering uh, at the American University of Georgia in the United Arab Emirates. But back to being a, a nerd, uh, all about <laughs> school grades, I made some friends that a lot of them I'm still in contact with. I just actually not celebrated, but kind of realized that I graduated university 19 years ago. A friend from university was actually just visiting last week here in Canada. So yeah, uh, university years. Um, I finished my degree in about four years, graduated there. 
as expected, I flew back to Saudi and I, I went back to Saudi to work. But the, again, that, that moment in life was crucial because yes, I did chemical engineering. I graduated at the top of my class. I came back excited, hopeful, thinking I'll, I'll find a job and um, some opportunities and maybe choices even. It was only 2004 in Saudi. So restrictions were still there. Again, not, not necessarily official restrictions, but it was mostly social. Right. Right. So going back there, it was very difficult to find somewhere to work because like everybody was applying, applauding engineering and my GPA. But mm -hmm. then there's like, but you're a woman. We can't hire you in that field. It wasn't about hiring women. It was about the combination, being a woman and an engineer together. That um, must have been really frustrating. Oh, it was. It was. Um, I did have a couple of interviews. Again, uh, like, again, the applause for what I've done. But we, sorry, we can't offer you what we could offer maybe men with same qualifications. After two months of applying and going for interviews, getting some offers, but like I said, nothing interesting. I ac actually accepted an offer to work as an admin assistant, which basically was like a secretary, but for a group instead of one person. Mm-hmm. In Aramco, the oil company, the national oil company in, in Saudi. Okay. So basically, uh, my degree, my four-year degree, my high GPA was put aside. And technically, I was hired with a high school degree. You know what this is reminding me of? Uh -huh. What newcomers to Canada go through. Yes, where it's, it's like... Oh, yes, you've done all this. Or, oh, but you don't have any Canadian experience. Exactly. And everything that they've worked so hard for, mm -hmm. they take that admin position yeah. or, you know, Very entry level. Yeah. But as a career development practitioner, mm -hmm. I'm looking at this and I'm applauding you for you. doing a taking a strategic approach to your to your career, because at least you were in that oil world. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Smart. So my idea was that I'm bored of being sitting at home for two months. Yes, the oil company, listen, in, in, in Saudi, and it's still a, a dream job, a dream company to be in. It wasn't my dream, but it was, yeah, it, it makes sense to be an engineer in the oil company. And again, it's Saudi Arabia. That's the best thing we can do. We do. So the way I, I thought about it is like, let me get my foot in and then see what, where this goes. So I started with admin. I did secretarial work. I made coffee. So within within the first year, I started getting additional roles and tasks, more engineering. Within the second year, I was still uh, an admin assistant uh, on a contract, not not like a full-time job. My my first boss in Aramco was, my direct boss was a Canadian. I still remember um, Jim Iwanusho. He was a great support and a great cheerer, not just applauding, you know, you know, verbally. He pushed really hard and helped me and promoted me to higher management. And eventually I was rehired as an engineer. So eventually my degree was recognized and I was hired permanently. Like all of this work and him pushing and, and um, supporting me uh, made this happen. So towards the end of the second year, uh, I was rehired as, a, as an engineer finally. Wow. All yeah. right. So then how long were you there? So another pivoting moment. <laughs> uh, during that time, I was already applying for my master's degree in England in, at the University of Manchester mm. and also applying through the Saudi uh, Ministry of Higher Education for a scholarship to support that. I got uh, rehired as an engineer on August 1st. 2006. So I've been working for two years then. September 25, I remember those dates. Mm -hmm. September 25, I get the scholarship and the acceptance 
to go for my master's. And I was like, okay, so what do we do now? I definitely, I was 100% sure definite about going for my master's. So I went to Jim and his boss saying, listen, sorry about that, but I'm quitting. Everybody thought I was crazy. Family, friends, people at work, every thought, everybody, they're just like, you finally made it. You finally, you're finally in as an engineer and now you want to quit? It's not even two months. And I was like, yes, thank you. But this is what I want to do. Um, and what did Jim say? Listen, Jim was the only person who knew I, I was going through applications, right? Mm. Um, he knew the process, like he knew when I applied, he knew what my plan and maybe that like, I knew he was hopeful that if, if I got rehired as an engineer, I'll drop the idea of, of, of the masters, mm. but it didn't happen. He still supported. He actually went one step further to recommend that I, uh, request, uh, leave without pay from my job for a year. Cause, um, at the, I mean, it still is masters in the UK is only one year, right? Mm. He was like, why don't you apply for that? And I, I thought, and I told him, um, that's that would be amazing. But I've only been officially hired less than two months. I just feel like like it's asking too much. Well, they know me. I've been there for two years, technically. But yeah. on paper, I, I was only there for two months. He's like, there's no harm in asking. So he went ahead and, and actually spoke with hiring management about my case and about um, my potential request. But I had to do the paperwork for it. So we did. But another guy came in and he spoke for me. Me, uh, with upper management and his logic was she's going for a master's everything is paid for she'll come back with a master's that we paid not, nothing for so it's like a free, a free qualification why not yeah eventually uh, i had to submit my paper basically i handed in two letters and everything had to happen within literally five days which included a weekend because september 25 the day i got my scholarship uh, acceptance was actually the first day of school i was already late right? <laughs> I didn't have a visa to the UK. I didn't have a place to stay. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Coincidentally, I've been chatting with a friend from university in the Emirates. She was going for a master's in the same university that year. So basically within five days, I flew to the capital in Saudi, uh, got my visa, spoke with this friend, told her, listen, find me a place. Otherwise I'm crashing at yours until I find <laughs> mine. <laughs> and then went back after the weekend uh, and gave in two letters. One was my resignation and the other is my request uh, explaining why and how and why is it a good idea to get a leave without pay to get my master's. In Aramco, everything takes time. So I said, okay, see you when you decide. Let me know. And I left. Um, and I think for, for a second, even Jim and, and my other boss didn't expect I was actually leaving on the day. But mm -hmm. it was like, flight is tonight. I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. I'm so yeah, I did that. And three months into my master's, I got an email saying, congratulations, your request for leave without pay has been accepted. See you in nine months. Oh my gosh. Wow. Like, I mean, seriously, like to be able to do all of this so quickly and yes. to get them to be have the buy-in that you were an investment and then you were going to come back. I yeah. mean, wow. Okay, yep. so there you are. You go to the, to Manchester. To be honest, I I even didn't expect it. it when I signed, you know, gave in my resignation, I was comfortable and and content with resigning. Right? I was I wasn't like on edge or scared of it being rejected. The request uh, for next time, but yeah, it 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 worked. I wasn't excited or eager to come back to to the job, but it was meant to be. So yeah, so 
one year in Manchester. Again, I yes, I left home for my undergrad, my bachelor's, but this was another level. This is different culture, different experience, alone in a different way, more responsibilities. Now it's not dormitories. Now it's living on your own, bills and, you know, bus passes and transportation. And it was all new. But I tried to make the most out of it, uh, even though it was one year, very quick. And I always remember and say, you know, in the first year anywhere, you go to all the wrong places, you meet all the, not necessarily wrong, but wrong people, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was an experience. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it was great. 12 full months. So I came back um, end of the following year. Now it's end of 2007. Went back to the job. It wasn't exactly what I left. So again, within the company, but in a different department, different role. And Mm. again, uh, now I have a master's, but I was technically a fresh graduate, a new hire. I had to go through the same program of uh, fresh graduates from university, from undergrads of three years of rotation, assignments here, different tasks, different roles. It was interesting, but it was uh, in the beginning very far from engineering. Again, socially, because I'm a female. So I did oil sales, crude oil sales, petroleum, basically sales. I did some lab work. I did some uh, business joint venture development. A lot of roles that were interesting, developed my knowledge and experience, but it was not engineering. And through these few years after my master's, there was a sometimes supported, sometimes opposed fight. I don't want to call it a fight, but like, let's say push to get me to work in a refinery like engineers do, especially when they graduate, as soon as they graduate. And that took four years until it got approved. And you wanted to work in a refinery? To be honest, yes. I was excited just to see what it's all about. And now that I've done it, I don't want to go do it again. Mm-hmm. But I still don't regret going there and doing it. Uh, and at the time, again, um, just to paint the full picture, uh, women were still not allowed to drive in Saudi, which restricted your your movements, your transportation, everything. And to work in a refinery uh, is not in the city. It's the closest one was a uh, one hour drive. So once everything went through and got approved, because it was a uh, one hour drive, I requested and I was like, I'm not. Again, I can drive and it's a one hour drive. So that means someone has to drive me back and forth every day, which doesn't make sense. I requested to be housed there. Uh, Aramco has compounds, uh, accommodation compounds for for their employees in the headquarters and uh, close to uh, major refineries. So that worked. I I got like a little studio uh, living there. And I was basically the first female engineer to work in a refinery in Saudi Arabia. Oh my goodness. Yes. Wow. Celebrity. Hello. That's very cool. Local celebrity. <laughs> wow, that is that's that's very very cool. Uh, thank you, thank you. So when I while doing that, parts of it were were tough, but now that I look back, I think it was my best year in in eighteen years career. I really felt by engineering coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that was the most engineering focused year I've done at work because again I the two years before it was all business and admin and then business and sales and you know the men fields I mentioned but this was like hardcore engineering in an oil company that's what we do we pump oil and we refine it so it was it was very very interesting and I learned a lot this assignment in the refinery was supposed to be only three months and I go back to office job but then it got extended extended uh three more times so in total it was a year and three months okay they they have requested another extension apparently I was doing something good (laughs) Uh, but I was like I'm 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 done 
<laughs> Again, socially, uh, because it's a, refiner- a refinery, it's slightly remote and individuals and the the structure of, of the community at work was very different than the city. So there was a lot of opposition towards me being a female engineer, giving orders, uh, dictating what operations does. And But again, it wasn't me being bossy. It was, I was doing my job. Um, that's, that's right. You were... Yeah. Yeah, a woman is a a woman is bossy, but a man is assertive. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But okay, I'll I'll give you an example of this. So in the refinery, every day there's a call with all the units in the refinery. So if you walk by any factory and you see towers lined up, each one is a unit. So there's a call every morning, updates on what every unit is doing. And I was working in a position where I need to address each one of them. So this is a call. Nobody sees it at the other, but I was in, I'm in the same room with my team and my boss. So we're on the call and my turn comes. I ask a question and there's silence. I ask into the, the, you know, the phone. So the people inside the refinery would answer me and there's silence. I repeat and there's silence. So my boss kind of figured it out and he went on. He asked exactly the same question and then we got an answer. Uh. Exactly. Now, people made made a joke out of it, but it didn't feel good. No, I don't think, I can't imagine it would. Now, I laugh about it because overall that year, yes, some people were, as I said, were very, were opposing me being there. But at the same time, the team that I worked with, although we came from very different backgrounds, they were more, let's say, restricted and religious and strict about their ways and their opinions of of. Mm -hmm woman, anything, anything and everything. But I have to say it took them like some time, but once they opened up, they actually became like, they included me like family. And it was, it was very heartwarming to see, you know, that kind of wall fall apart. And, uh, you know, the elderly treated me like their daughter, the younger was like, like a sister. So it was, it was eventually very, very friendly, but on, you know, a smaller scale, not everybody was like that. So again, I actually was in touch with a couple of them before I leave, before I leave work, before I leave Aramco last year. And it was, it was again, very heartwarming to know that they remember me. People come back from the refinery. It's like, oh, you were Asma. You work there. People are talking about you, that you're the, you're the first female engineer. So it's, it's very nice to know that at least <laughs> nobody hated that I was there. No. And do you think that now you've paved the way? I believe so. Good. I believe so because, yes, one thing, I, I was the first to work there. But part of it is, uh, obviously, it's not all my work. But around this the year 2006, Aramco, until 2006, Aramco is only sponsoring males, uh, so male engineers, male doctors, uh, lawyers, everything. They were sponsoring high school graduates, only men, to go and study abroad and come back for jobs. But 2006, they started doing applying that for an opening, the, the program for women as well. So by 2010, there were plenty of female engineers coming back. But they still had some opposition. I heard stories of meeting some some of these young women telling me, how did you do that? Where We're engineers and we're here and we can't work as engineers. So yes, I share my story. Sometimes it works, sometimes it's not. But because again, you know, it, it, it makes a difference who you report to and who's in charge. And Aramco is a huge company. Um, last time I checked, there were 60,000 employees. 60,000? Yeah, but that's not all in one like location, not all in... Uh, some of them are actually not in Saudi. Aramco has uh, offices and uh, facilities across the world. Ooh. But again, we worked in the headquarters. So I guess majority are there. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, I'd like to think I paved the way because I know so, so many of them use me as an example. I was like, how come Asma did it? Like they would argue using that. 
So then now I'm just intrigued. So you've done this, you've accomplished this. Where does the PhD come in? Um, like I mentioned, I, I worked for a few years, including a year in a refinery, a couple more after the refinery. And uh, in 2012, I think, uh, basically Aramco offered me, um, like I mentioned, Aramco sponsors uh, mm. students on degrees, mostly undergrads, but very few uh, every year go on um, sponsor, on sponsored program by Aramco to do uh, mostly masters. So I got an email saying, congratulations, uh, you've been nominated for a master's degree. Please choose whether it's MBA or master of engineering. And I already had my master. But I thought, you know what, I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to say no just because I have one. Let's do it. It's an opportunity. And, you know, I like learning and there's traveling involved. So why not? <laughs> so I chose masters. Um, I chose the MBA. I thought my my master's it was already in engineering. Let me do something complimentary. But then um, my boss calls me and I'm just confirming, saying, I believe you have a master's already, right? I said, yes, I do. And it's in the file. And luckily, when I came back from my master's, of course, Aramco had not sponsored the master's, mm -hmm. but I, I filled out an application to have it inserted in my file, which came in handy now, a few years later. I said, yes, I have a master's. And he was like, are you interested in a PhD? What? Of course. <laughs> okay. Again, remember the nerd that wanted to... Yes, that's what I was thinking. Something? Yeah. So um, she was asleep, but then she woke up at that moment. And I was like, <laughs> yes, of course. But in what? Because I, again, I know uh, as a sponsoring entity, Aramco as a company would choose and interfere in the major, in the school you're going to. So I understand. I mean, they're paying for the whole thing. Right. So uh, paperwork uh, took a lot of time. So I started applications, I think, mid-2012 to go to school in September 2013. Even though they've nominated me for the PhD, there was still some opposition by individuals of uh, why go for a PhD? It's useless. Nobody cares about it. You're wasting your time. Go for another master's. Why not? Yeah, Everybody had an opinion, even in the university that I was going to. But, you know, I had to be polite and say thank you, but I still want to do it. It's a PhD. It requires your own interest and drive and commitment. And it's not just a bunch of courses. As long as it's in engineering. Perfect. Oh. When I was in high school, I was interested in chemistry, but also genetics. Not that I knew a lot about mm -hmm. that. Okay. But it was a fascinating field for me. So I went about, you know, looking for universities, where to apply, choosing a location. Do I go to the US? Do I go to UK? So I looked at university. And again, the application process takes, takes a while mm -hmm. uh, for different reasons, including my mom was um, getting sick at the time. I focused my, my applications in the UK just because the convenience of location and distance. So I, I was trying to find a program that isn't engineering, but is in biotechnology or bioengineering, or in some some areas it's called biomedical engineering, mm. and that worked. I found a few a few universities. I applied to a couple, got accepted in a few, and then part of the process is your boss kind of has the final check and tick on which mm -hmm. university you get into after you get acceptances. So the top one, which was my preference, was a PhD in chemical engineering at the University uh, at the um, uh, Imperial College of London in London, in England. So uh, and yeah, the program is a chemical a PhD in chemical engineering, but the focus was was designing artificial bone marrow. So 
the application took a while, of course, with other, you know, logistics and visas and all the paperwork. Forward to September 2013, I moved there, got settled, uh, started university. And then it was like, okay, what do I do now? PhD, how does this work? In the UK, there is no pro no classes, no, no structure to the beginning or to your PhD. It's kind of... Um, you 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 progress as you go mostly with interaction and, and um, supervision by your um, degree supervisor right mm -hmm. so and of course you you have a group but your work is individual so that was a phd usually it's officially three years but i took four years and 10 months don't tell them but because i was enjoying it <laughs> oh, it was it was london right <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, there we go. Yes, yes, of course. Yes. Uh, now, one thing that, that also contributed to the extension or the delays, I did mention that my mom was getting sick the year before. Um, so my mom passed away actually one year into my PhD. Oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you. So I had to fly back one year within uh, within it, stay in Saudi a couple of months. And that, that was another pivoting mo moment because everything crashes when that happens. Everything is questioned. Uh, you, yourself, life, decisions, people, relationships, everything. But after a few months in Saudi, one, one of the thoughts was that, what am I doing? Why am I doing this PhD again? Let's just quit and stay here. But uh, luckily, I decided to fly back to London and power through. And I have to say, even though my supervisor, he was very difficult with all of us. Nothing mm -hmm. personal, but mm -hmm. I have to give him this. He was very, very, very supportive in that period of my life and my PhD. Good. And if he wasn't, it I might have crashed even more. You know, it, it went through. Uh, it was a bit difficult. The system was different. He was he had his own system of, of work. <laughs> so that added to the difficulty. But um, I have to say the science was very interesting. Yes, it was devastating when you work for two months on one experiment and then it fails. Mm. Just like that. Because my work was um, with stem cells. We are a group of 25 uh, PhD students and some postdocs. And I was learning as I go. I've never done cell work. I've never touched a cell. I've never worked with blood. I've never never done anything that that biological. If you mm -hmm. Engineer, like very, very rigid engineering. I did oil. I did refining. So everything was new and I was learning as I go. But I was also supposed to come up with something, invent something. There were some very, very low moments and some good ones. And I, I, was, uh, I was called in the lab, the material girl, just because I was, I was the material scientist. Okay. Um, so yeah, that was, that was PhD. And uh, eventually I graduated uh, earning that uh, degree in 2018. But again, because I was sponsored by, by Ramco, I had to go back and work for them. In this case, I mean, technically it's a job, so you can quit when you want. But I was sponsored. They paid for my degree, for my my living expenses and everything for five almost five years, right? Yeah. So it is part of the commitment that I would come back and work the same number of years. Now, at the moment after my mom passed, I I went through, like I mentioned, existential questioning of everything. And one one of these bigger questions was, why am I going back to Saudi and what am I going back for? I have lost my father when I was five years old. Oh. So I, I grew up with my mom, a single mother. I had a brother and that was it. So technically by that time, I wasn't enjoying my job. Again, when I left Saudi, there were all the restrictions about growing in the company because you're a woman, life being restrictive, again, as a single woman, technically no immediate family, right? So this question kept, kept you know, brewing in the back of my mind, and I started looking at, at options. 
And in the back, I started my application to move to Canada. But to be honest, it took, the, the year after my mom passing was, was a haze, was a blur. I can't remember it. Yeah. But I, I am grateful that I actually at least have planted that seed of my application to come here. Why did you want to come to Canada? There was no reason. I, I love that. I haven't been to Canada ever before. I only knew that it existed north of the US. I knew nothing. And I knew it was cold. That's it. Okay. And I knew about maple. Not so much, but I know maple came from there. But at the time, my my sister-in-law had been studying in Canada to uh, in her field. And the idea was proposed by my brother uh, saying, why don't you apply? And I was like, huh? He was like, mm-hmm. apply. There's no loss, no harm. So I, I was again in a in a in a haze, just doing what I'm told and kind of yeah. not not thinking through at that time. But at least I wasn't saying no th- no to opportunities. Yeah. So I, I put my application forward, and then I went on with my PhD. 2018, I came back to Saudi. It was a different world when I came back. Uh, Work wise, life wise, country wise, nobody has to cover. You can wear whatever you want. I mean, within modesty limits. Right. Women can drive. No woman needs any guardian's approval or signature to travel, to work, to go to hospital. None of that. I had a culture shock going back to my own country. I remember, and you've seen my hair. We started the conversation about my hair, right? Yes. I came back and people are like, you don't need to cover. And I was like, are you sure? But my hair is too much. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, no, it's fine. Yes, people were staring. Fine. It is unusual for Saudi, my hair, I mean. But Nobody, nobody was um, told off. Nobody was um, persecuted. Uh, again, when I left in 2013, mm-hmm. we had what um, people refer, refer to as uh, religious police. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where if you're showing your hair, if, sometimes even if you're showing your face, you would be yelled at and mm-hmm. taken into, I don't know, some office to sign a, like a paper promising you'd never do it again. Not to say it was always like this. I don't want to paint an ugly picture. People know Saudi is strict, but some individuals took it too far. Right. And then now I came back in 2018 and um, like I mentioned, nobody needs to cover. You can wear any color. It doesn't have to be black anymore. You can travel with no permission of your male guardian. So I came back, went back to work. One big transition before London, I would go to work covering my hair, like wearing a hijab. Mm-hmm. But then I came back from London, not doing that. Like I'm not playing this game anymore. I'm not wearing it. So that was another shock to the people I worked with. Yes, I would imagine it would be. Yes, I could see it in their eyes. But again, socially, nobody can ask me or question it or even pretend they notice. Right. Right. So work went fine. Now it was more all about, oh, you're a successful, qualified woman. Take this, get this, take this position, lead this, be in charge. You know, everybody wanted to promote women, to give them opportunities whether they believed in that or at least they wanted to ride the wave right so working in in Aramco after that was I I have to say very different I was more seen more more accepted and appreciated I guess for my qualifications so within a year I got a like a promotion and then COVID hit during 2019 I got uh, my invitation to land into Canada. And by that time, I had already been back in Saudi a year on a personal level. There was some emptiness. At the end of the day, it was lonely. One thing I re reestablished as soon as I landed back in Saudi was my cooking. Part of it was experimenting. Part of it was the establishing of uh, Asma's table, where I offer and host cooking experiences. Were you motivated to create that? to build a sense of community around you? Initially, it was just me and a couple of friends. And then as it expanded, I realized that this is my community. This is my 
socializing that I look forward to. Like that was the the, the, the highlight of my month. Like you said, building a community and, and feeling that need out of spending so much time alone. And then comes a class and how, how much excitement and joy and, and, and passion that brings out of, of me and, and the ladies who attended my experiences. So yeah, that was definitely a big part of it, wanting that sense of community. So then you came here. Yes. <laughs> I was moving here. I still didn't have a place. But by that time, I had been to Ottawa a couple of times. I, I don't want to use the word boring because now I get upset when people call Ottawa boring. I mean, it's, it's home now. I moved last year, June 2022. And so far, I'm enjoying it. I like the vibe and energy. Beginning of this year, I started re-establishing ESMA stable slowly. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, even though the space is smaller than what I had in Saudi, but I'm still hosting this at my place, a small number of, you know, individuals. So far it's two uh, cooking experiences hosted and, uh, and a new one coming soon. Okay. Can you yeah. tell us about what the cooking experiences are like and, and tell do tell about the next one coming soon? I'm starting with what I'm good at, what I'm confident doing. So I'm ho- I'm initially hosting the experiences as I I did for six years in Saudi. So coming to the exper- cooking experience at Desma Stable, every experience is themed around one ingredient in Canada. The first one I hosted in Canada, it was a coffee cooking experience, which means you come to my place, my kitchen, and we cook a full meal, a three course meal, a first course, main course, and a dessert all using that ingredient, coffee, hmm. right? Okay. So savory and sweet using the same ingredient. That was, that's, that's experimenting. I want to hmm. uh, get people excited about, get them uh, out of their comfort zone and, and trying out new dishes. The ingredient might be very familiar, but the way you use it in a dish is the experiment. That's part of what I, I, I like to offer and, and promote and sell, if you may. And in this experience, you would uh, we would cook together the, the savory dishes, two dishes, and then the individuals would, will make their own desserts, which they will take home. Once we're done cooking, we'll sit and gather at ESMA's table. And by that time, everybody knows everybody. People come in strangers, but after three hours of cooking, you're tasting, you're smelling, you're asking questions. Even the shy ones will come out of the shell and engage and, and be entertained. And it's it's very casual, very cozy, and it's very heartwarming. Um, and then after that, we sit for dessert with uh, tea. So basically, we eat dessert that I I make. Okay. But then at the end, people still take their own whole dessert to take home. It's kind of a, a memory, a souvenir, a takeaway from the from the experience. So the experience kind of extends even beyond the, the hours uh, spent here. Uh, yeah, that basically uh, is asthma stable in a nutshell. As of now, I'm hosting them at my place. And I'm also looking to expand this into um, to a private chef experience at the client's place. That's also part of what I, I'm, I'm working towards adding to ESMA stable. I, I think that's neat. How much does this cost a person? The cost of, of an individual to attend this experience, and uh, again, including everything that I mentioned, is $200. I am running a promotion for my upcoming class. It's very seasonal. It's a pumpkin-themed experience. If individuals sign up and use a, a code, it's basically Halloween 23, they would get a 25%. Um, and yeah, so this it's it, the fixed cost is 200 but Depending on the season, depending on the um, the timing and also availability, I, I, I'm usually offering uh, perks here and there, whether it's a discount or an extra here or a, a couple's discount when it's, uh, let's say, Valentine's Day, a mother, bring your mother, you know, offer um, when it's Mother's Day. But yeah, the upcoming one is going to be um, on October 28th. 
That's a Saturday, scheduled for to start at 3 p.m. And where do people find out more information about this? Like, how do they sign up? So uh, the website is basically asmaztable.com. And uh, they can find information about this experience, about me, about the experience, about what I'm offering, and also book and pay through the website. Um, so it's all automized now. Wow. Whew, what a journey. Um, and my my last question to you is, and I, I'm, I'm very intrigued by what you're going to say. Okay. Do you have a motivational quote that inspires you? Oh, that's a tough one. People come into your life for a reason, yeah. a season, or a lifetime. Yeah, it's okay that people leave. It's okay to let go. Yeah, it's okay that you know not everybody has to stay there just as a proof of um, loyalty or or fighting hard. Or no, people are really there for only a reason. Whether you need them, whether they need you, whether they're here to show you something. Yeah. One other one, I really love and I sometimes need to remind myself God is never late and only recently I learned I didn't look it up like I didn't verify that but I was told that this comes from the Bible I'm not sure uh, but yes God is never late whatever God is whatever you believe in even if you can change it to universe is never late but mm-hmm. everything is meant to happen when it's meant to happen it, it's kind of linked, right? If it's meant to be, it'll happen when it's meant to happen. We sometimes push and rush and fight and, you know, maybe get angry. Like, Why is this not working for me or not happening for me? But then, you know what? It's not the time for you. Yeah, that's yeah. true. God slash the universe is never late. You're right. He or it is always on time. Exactly. It will come when it's time. Yeah. Asma, what uh, journey... I'm so glad you were there that day. I am too. And I and I don't know if I said that that day, but when you started telling me, oh, I have this podcast and you were telling me about it. And I was like, wow, I need to go and listen. But then you said, I would like to host you. I, I really ha- had tears in my eyes. Aww. That was that was very, very kind of you and nice of you and very humbling. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for, for being. And I hope you have been listening and, and hearing the amazing people. Yes. Yes, amazing stories. Yeah, that's so. This is why I, I had I listen. Anybody who has like a PhD in chemical engineering is a woman from Saudi Arabia and then comes here and starts her own cooking experience. No, yeah. that's that's a story that needs to be shared on the playground like that. So thank, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. Will, um, we will be in touch for sure. All right. Yes, thank you. so much, Asma, for sharing your career journey and your pivot with us today. I really appreciate hearing about the realities of growing up female in Saudi Arabia and the academic and employment challenges that women face. A self-declared nerd, Asma told us about her focus on getting good grades and her desire to obtain her PhD, switching her major to engineering even with all of the people around her telling her that engineering is not for women and questioning what she was going to do afterwards. She shared that even though she graduated with top marks, it was challenging, to say the least, to be looking for an engineering role as a woman. She started her career with Aramco and was there for almost 20 years. We learned about the importance of having a sponsor, 
someone who can be a mentor and vouch for you. And we learned that Asma was the first female engineer to work in a refinery in Saudi Arabia. Thankfully, she opened the doors for many women who followed in her footsteps. She spoke of creating Asma's Table, a cooking experience all about creating community. After a successful six years in Saudi Arabia, she has brought Asma's Table to Ottawa. As someone who always enjoyed cooking and experimenting with food, Asma pivoted in the most delicious way. Big thanks to Asma for inspiring us with her journey and her amazing cooking experiences with Asma's Table. I'm really excited about our next week's mystery guest and um, prepare to be inspired again. I'm telling you, I am the luckiest person to have the most amazing people in my life and to be able to showcase them and their accomplishments and their inspiration on uh, on the playground with, with you. So again, I invite you to follow me on Instagram at puddlejumpcoaching001. And uh, I'm really glad that you're part of my reason and my season. So take good care of yourself. Take good care of other people. And I'll look forward to seeing you next week when we will jump into the future together. (music) 